0: Operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And we're recording this um, a little bit earlier so that you can hear it in April, so um, we won't be taking phone calls today, but we think you'll enjoy the conversation as as it stands. I would like you to think back to a teacher who made a difference in your life. Where did they get their excitement about teaching and learning? Given the energy that they put into their profession, how do you suppose they renewed themselves for a career's worth of classrooms? And in the studio today with us, we've got some folks who have begun to ask that question and begun, in fact, to provide some answers of how teachers renew themselves. Um, So our topic today is Renewing the Courage to Teach. And in the studio with us, we have Richard Ackerman. Richard is with the College of Education and Human Development at the University of Maine. Welcome to you, Richard.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
0: Also joining um, Richard is Doug Babkirk. Doug is a colleague of mine with Cooperative Extension. Welcome, morning, Doug. morning, Ron. Thank you. And Carrie Callahan is with the Cobbs Community Learning Center down in Trescott, Maine. Welcome to you, Carrie. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Well, as we think about this this topic, maybe perhaps um, all of you could introduce yourselves and tell a little bit about how you came to the field of education, and um, then we'll uh, proceed with our topic. So, Carrie, tell us a little bit about Cobbs Cook Community Learning Center, and, and that's a ways away, maybe just outside of WER's used listening area, but uh, we're glad to have you here.
2: Yeah, just a tad outside, but um, but we, uh, we do uh, stream from um, the inter- Internet. Yes, my name is Carrie Callahan. I'm with the Cobbs Community Learning Center. We're in Trescott, just over the line from Lubeck uh, and the, the bridge to Campobello. Um, the, the community center was started about 12 years ago, basically by a bunch of people who knew that that area of, of the state needed something more. There was not much in the way of alternative education. There are many public school systems there, but there were kids that were lacking things, and, and adults as well. We, um, we formed to, um, to create um, the, the organization. The folks comprising that um, foundation were young and old, uh, both people from away, native folks from Maine, and also uh, several members from the Passamaquoddy tribes. We um, Now we've evolved to, um, to offer as many um, con- community education and enrichment type programs um, that you can find. But I would also say that Two of our strongest programs are alternative high school programs. Mm-hmm. One is called uh, Passages, which is really the first satellite campus of the community school at Opportunity Farms in Camden. Um, Opportunity Farms has been in existence for about 100 years, and the C School, as it's called in Camden, um, chose us to create the very first mm-hmm. um, Passages satellite Campus and that program is a it's an individually designed uh, high school diploma program versus a GED for pregnant and parenting teens. We often get folks, uh, young, young adults in the program who age out uh, based on um, the state school mandates and the tuition money that would follow the student. So the CCLC uh, does quite a bit of fundraising so that we can keep those students in the program and help them to complete their education. The second program is one that we developed in direct response to uh, several of the area principals and superintendents, and that's called the Community Year. That right now is uh, a two-year program where students can come from anywhere in Washington County and actually take Take part in a in a real alternative uh, learning situation. There's there are so many ways that that students learn, uh, and this. This pr- approach through the community year is is basically hands hands on, and uh, we call it experiential and expedition based. Mm-hmm. So the kids travel um, all over the Eastern Seaboard. For example, they're we're p- preparing right now to go to Washington D.C. to do uh, do a stint on government mm-hmm. and history and politics. So that's that's what the CCLC is, and I am the director of education and programs there. and and um, I love it.
0: And, and how did you come to education? Was that uh, Have you been in education all of your um, adult life? Or h- how did you come to it?
2: I, well, I guess in the big picture, yeah. <laughs> 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 We're all, it's all, everything. Our life is uh-huh. a learning <clears throat> process. I will say this. During... Um, my, my previous life as a Navy ship designer, I, uh, I also studied art at George Washington University. And for three years during my graduate studies, I did indeed teach there, and then taught for a full year uh, after that. S- and since then, I have always been involved in community education and adult education as a teacher mm. uh, from uh, Virginia, Maryland, uh, all the way up here to Maine. And I guess one other little um, little characteristic of myself is that I'm a yoga teacher, mm. and that indeed is is the lifelong uh, study and sharing and and learning process.
0: Mm. So when it comes to renewal, which we'll talk a little bit about later, probably yoga helps with that. Oh yeah, great. Mm. Doug, Doug Babcock from Cooperative Extension, a little bit about yourself and, and, and co- what is Cooperative Extension.
3: Sure. Yeah. Um, for the folks who don't know, Cooperative Extension is the outreach division of the University of Maine, the Orono-based campus. is the flagship campus of the University of Maine system, where we have seven campuses. And Orono is the only campus that has a Cooperative Extension, which basically has faculty and professionals and associates that are scattered literally across the counties uh, throughout the state of Maine, that serve as a bridge between the university's research, development work, and uh, academic programs, and what it is that people in the community need. And so as our faculty engage with people at the local community level, we're there to listen, to help facilitate, to build people's capacities to achieve the kinds of things that they want in their lives, all the way from agriculture, natural resources, the fisheries, our 4-H youth development program for school-age youth, and uh, foods and nutrition food safety food preservation and the area that i've been involved in is in community resource development and home-based business Mm. Uh, Mm. so it's exciting to be here today and to talk about one of the initiatives that Cooperative Extension has had for the past few years in partnership with the College of Education and Human Development to sponsor the Courage and Renewal work uh, focused on teacher formation and development uh, across the state of Maine. Mm-hmm. So, you asked about your uh, path. What's your path been? Yeah, I mean, the, in a couple of months, I'll be uh, uh, acknowledging my 35th year with Cooperative Extension, and it's been a, a fascinating career. of... An opportunity for me to live out my passion of lifelong learning and being the curious little boy that I was and having gone to a one-room schoolhouse in North Scarborough where there were literally four grades with one teacher, and she was the most influential teacher mm. in my life mm. in terms of her capacity to physically care and hold and embrace us and instill in us a passion of being connected with ourselves with other people and with nature Mm. and uh, so i think of ruth grant often uh, in this work uh, when i think of people who literally uh, lived out who they were with what uh, she did in the world and uh, so cooperative extension has been a wonderful vehicle for me to be able to work with the magic of bringing groups of people together to help create what it is that they envision and to share my skills in facilitation and uh, help to elicit those skills and uh, imagination in others Mm. as well.
0: Great, thanks. Mm. Uh, Richard, Richard Ackerman, um, a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the world of of teaching and and then college teaching?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I'm going to start at the other end then (laughs) because, you know, I'm 62 years old and I've uh, realized that I've spent most of those years in a school of one kind or another, um, and curiously, the only year I wasn't in a school, I bought a school bus and traveled around Susan. the country. But in that, uh, d- during that year, I was uh, uh, right after college. Uh, we were, we actually didn't paint the bus a different color. It, it continued to look like a school bus, and we had a lot of people coming and going on that bus. Mm-hmm. There was a, a child who came on that bus one day with her parents. Uh, from West Virginia and she didn't know how to read and she was 10 years old and um, I started just reading to her in the evenings and uh, sitting next to her and I knew nothing about teaching anybody how to read but I, I realized that this was a uh, a vocational uh, life for me which is uh, being in the presence of of children and really trying to understand how to serve their own learning. And mm-hmm. um, I would say that, I, I found myself telling my wife this story this morning. She, she, re- she told me I never told it to her. I, it, it was a very powerful moment. And I think it, I, I realized very quickly, the way I think many teachers realize that they wanna teach because they have this sense that they want to go beyond their own understandings mm-hmm. in, in order to help someone else. So that's really what started me on, the, mm-hmm. on this trail. Um, from there, I, I, I went into uh, teaching myself, and then I became the head of a Quaker school, and then I went to graduate school and um, uh, got interested in leadership development and leadership education and migrated here to, to Maine almost 10 years ago to uh, join a group of wonderful colleagues at the University of Maine College of Education and Human Development, a great, uh, a great place and a great group of faculty there. Um, I'm in the Department of Educational Leadership where I work primarily with folks who are interested in, uh, uh, in positions of leadership in schools in one way or another, in a, in a variety of different ways. So we have teachers and uh, principals and superintendents all part of our program. And I've been there now for, for a while, and it's, it's a lovely place to, to be parked.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard, come back to you. It's interesting that your experience with that young girl, you were sitting beside her. Yes. Not in front of her in a no. classroom sense.
1: Tolstoy talks about i think I think it was tolstoy I, I I saw this image of what it means to just sit next to someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sit next to someone and you have that feeling of what it means to to be beside another soul in that way. Yes, I remember that very mm. very palpably, and of course it's informed and formed, I think a lot of the ways in which I think about. -hmm. Education.
0: Mm -hmm. And Carrie, coming
1: back to some of the
0: folks who are involved in your um, uh, programs, uh, and I've been to uh, Copsco Community Learning Center, um, it seems also there's a place of of sitting beside instead of in front of.
2: Ah, yes, I was actually going to pick up on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of our gatherings there are um, done in a circle. Uh, gatherings for business discussions, for board of director discussions, for uh, music jamming, uh, any and everything, and and truly you are indeed by one another, and then within the circle, uh, actually connected to those people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and Doug, your notion of facilitating—tell a little bit mm-hmm. about because I certainly share some mm-hmm. of that um, skill and passion That's right. um, with you. But uh, talk about um, what that means as an educator.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'm going to continue the theme of sitting beside because it's—it's it's not Extension's role to pronounce or to be the expert. It's um, it, our role as Extension educators are to bring circles of people together in safe environments, as I said earlier, to be able to create that which they want, whether on an individual level, in a group, a community level, or in a business. So oftentimes in the groups that we facilitate in the community settings, it's working where people are at as opposed to expecting them to be some magical place. And to be able to acknowledge that Everyone has their own story, and the group has its own story, whether it's planning for new zoning ordinance in a community, whether it's creating an after-school child care program, whatever it might be, setting up a food co-op. Our role becomes one of impeccable listening and being able to tap into the gifts and skills that the group already embodies, as opposed to seeing it as a group that needs to be advised to be fixed or to somehow be... uh, put back together, it's building upon a group's strengths to be able to articulate how do we move forward, what are mm. the next steps, and to be able to guide people through a process of tapping into their own knowing as opposed to setting ourselves up for mm. to be the experts. That way people own their own process of discovery and mm. creativity.
0: So, all of you have been talking about some values that I think underlie the profession. I'll come back in a minute, but I want to remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU, and you're listening to a special pre recorded program um, focusing on renewing the courage to teach. In the studio with us are Doug Babkirk of Cooperative Extension, Carrie Callahan of Cobbs Cook Community Learning Center in Trescott, Maine, and Richard Ackerman of the College of Education and Human Development at the University of Maine. So, what are some of the other values that you sense? underlie the profession um, of teaching
1: Yeah, Richard? I'll take that I mean it, teaching is a calling I you know we were talking about this outside <laughs> in the parking lot and it does require a certain kind of uh, renewal of mind and um, passion and spirit and heart um, I think most teachers come to the profession inspired by some intrinsic passion to, to learn and they're also drawn by by an ethic of of service and, and a mission to make a difference in a world <laughs> some way and somehow. Um, and so I, I think at the heart of that is the heart. Mm-hmm. I like to think that teachers don't check their hearts at the door, and I think that's probably... Uh, where I think the deepest values for most teachers lie and reside, which is right in their heart and in their connections, their heartfelt connections to their students. I think that those are, at least as we've done this work, the places where the the deeper values emerge.
0: Mm. Mm. Carrie, anything to add in terms of what underlies the profession of
2: of teaching? Yeah, you know, this heart... um, 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 notion is very important. Um, we are working right now with the University of New England. Uh, we have a partnership and we're actually going to become a satellite campus for UNE, which is based in Portland. Um, recently we've been in conversations with the new Provost, Jack Williams. He's, uh, he worked for many years um, at one of the universities in uh, South Dakota. And when we met him for the first time, we, we just shared who we were, um, what the Learning Center is, and how it, it came to be. And he did say to us, this man of, of huge credentials, he said, you know what I like about you folks? You have heart. You teach from mm-hmm. the heart. You give from the heart. And, mm. and that's exactly his intent, his intention uh, within his, his uh, academic career as well as his personal life.
0: I can imagine that there are maybe teachers listening to this program, or uh, folks who have been um, involved in, in teaching, and they might need permission to mm-hmm. work from the heart. Mm-hmm. Is that? Do you find that that's the case? That that they need some encouragement because we're we're so mind centered in in the in the educational world that we need to give permission to speak from the heart, to yeah. teach from the heart. Doug,
3: I mean, I can speak from my own experience of being. Um, a member of the Extension faculty for a number of years, that there were clearly times and places and spaces in my work that I didn't feel it was safe to come from a place of the heart. And I realized a lot of that was my own fears of being judged, of being criticized, of being seen as flaky, all of that. And so once I was able to get clear about that longing of who I am needs to be expressed in the work that I do, that I didn't want to uh continue at that divided life that we often talk about in this work that I wanted to bring all the pieces of myself together in the work that I do in the world and those are some of the same stories that we hear in the teachers that we work with that I'll never forget an experience of a workshop where a teacher said you know Doug when I come into the classroom that I teach I'm on fire I love mm. the students I love the subject matter I'm on fire and I'm engaged but when I walk into the school building, I'm suffocating. So that's that disconnect of feeling overwhelmed, oppressed with a lot of the expectations that teachers have on them uh, by others, of feeling sometimes, uh, oftentimes in the middle, connected with that sense of who am I in the classroom and to realize that the relationships with students become paramount for them and yet not oftentimes feeling they have permission to be authentic to be who I am because of that fear of being seen as not okay. Mm -hmm. And so that is part of our work in this courage to teach work of bringing circles together, of creating safe places for people to give voice to those stories Mm -hmm. and to sense that oftentimes teachers feel very isolated, that they walk into their classroom, they're on you know, for the next six, seven hours, and they don't have a chance to really connect with their peers in ways that they find meaningful. Mm. So that's some of our work, is to help people give themselves permission and to find the courage to Act more authentically, in, in
0: Richard. As you um, look at um, the the group that comes to through the Education Leadership Program, often these are are experienced teachers um, moving to some level of greater leadership or greater um, administrative capacity or whatever. Do you find this this mm. this gap or this separation between the heart and the head um, is a factor yeah. for them?
1: Yeah, it's it's a classic <clears throat> and I think useful and difficult tension that most experience. Uh, it's interesting because the uh, it takes a certain kind of courage to be able to navigate that tension between the heart and the head. And, and courage, curiously, I think the root uh, core is, is heart, right? Mm. I mean, it, mm. Right? Mm. and I and French. so it, it's um, <coughs> embedded almost in the work itself that the very thing that most teachers need to navigate that tension is what they have. Mm. So part of what uh, the work requires, I think, is as Doug was saying, a, a certain uh, um, extraordinary level of listening and being patient to um, where my students, in this case, are and how they are reconciling the outer demands, as, as Doug was saying before, of, of, of an of a organized world of, of schools and schooling with, I think, the inner demands of what their heart is wanting <laughs> naturally. For them to to do. Um, But I do find that, that you know, if, and again, maybe this begins to sort of talk a little bit more about our work, if we can create a space that's safe enough for folks to lay down some of their own uh, preoccupations and defenses, worries, uh, that's the beginning of that ability, I think, to navigate that heart head Mm. um, road.
0: And um, uh, Carrie, perhaps less so, um, because you're the site of a potential workshop or future workshop, but um, Doug and Richard, you've both uh, been inspired by and use um, the the readings and and the the personal testimony of of a fellow named Parker Palmer. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could introduce Parker and and help our listeners see how this this individual and Mm -hmm. his um, life journey has then led to um,
1: some work that you're doing together um, in these workshops. Sure. Parker uh, would probably describe himself today as an itinerant educator. <laughs> um, I met him years ago in Quaker education at a retreat, but he's, um, he's been on a fascinating journey uh, these past number of years as follows. Um, he uh, wrote a book a number of years ago called The Courage to Teach. Curiously, it was published through the Divinity Division of Josie Bass, not the Education Division. Uh, And it was about, uh, uh, it was a book about a teacher's vocation. Uh, Curiously, that book outsold most of the books in the educational division, (laughs) and it spoke, I think, nationally, probably internationally, to a hunger that a lot of teachers had uh, for a book, for words that could speak more directly uh, to who they are and what the nature of their vocation is. Um. As a result of that, Parker began uh, a collaboration with the Fetzer Institute in, um, in Michigan and was able to secure some funds to work with a group of teachers, uh, 25 teachers, uh, in uh, exploring with these teachers their own uh, vocational development. And out of that emerged a work which, which Doug and I call or which is called Teacher Formation. And it's rooted in a, in a fairly simple belief that, that good teaching flows essentially from the identity and the integrity of a teacher. Mm. Um, and so over these years, Parker and many, many others now – Parker likes to say uh, a lot of us have put wheels on those ideas mm. uh, in the form of a lo- facilitators all over the country now who lead re- retreats of various kinds um, – In in the same spirit as he was trying to do in that initial retreat, which is allow uh, and create a space for teachers to really uh, um, explore who they are. Parker would say it this way. So many professional development activities for educators tend to focus on instrumental questions. What am I going to do and how am I going to do it? And those are fine and useful questions. Sometimes – a good question is why am I doing it? And that's a useful question. But at the root of the courage work that, that, that we're engaged in is really a who question. Who is the self that teaches? Who am I when I walk into the room, when I walk into the building? So I think um, in, in introducing Parker, I would say he's brought to our consciousness, and I think more important probably to the work, a real sense that, that the vocational identity and integrity of a, of a teacher is very, very important. Mm. Mm-hmm. you want?
3: Okay. Yeah, I would agree, Richard. I mean, it's very well said. And Parker's one of those individuals who walks on the planet who walks his talk. Mm-hmm. And what you see is what you get in a very authentic, very grounded uh, man who just turned 70 this past year and has been taking his work from the pra- pra- practices and principles of the Courage to Teach work to now the work of our democracy and Um, writing a book last year called Healing the Heart of Democracy and looking at the practices and principles of how we come together as a culture, as a society, to be able to live into our differences as opposed to putting them aside or polarizing them of how to engage in safe, respectful, civil conversations and dialogue to be able to move our communities and country forward. And If we don't do that, that we're literally at risk Mm -hmm. of not continuing the democracy we are. And so also looking at those practices and principles, Ron, that can be brought within our schools to be able to invite people, no matter what role they are within a school, whether as a school administrator, a parent, a teacher, as well as students, to engage in meaningful conversations that go to, again, the heart of the matter of what is it that we want to create, how do we want to be in relationship to one another, and again, I think of a story in one of our workshops that as a result of the the retreat experience that we were uh, uh, creating one day for 25 teachers, there were two teachers from uh, the Midcoast area that had taught together in the same school for the past 20 years. And as a result of responding to a question of what's the thread that runs through their life, they were able to share that with each other in a 15-minute time they were able to both acknowledge they had never had such a depth of a conversation in 20 years as they had in that 15 minutes and i think that's the essence of what this work is is to invite people to step out of context to be able to give themselves permission to listen to those voices that have been silenced for so many years for a variety of reasons and to realize the the passion that parker brings to his work there's a quote here from the book uh, the courage to teach that uh is as follows Teachers choose their vocation for reasons of the heart because they care deeply about their students and about their subject. But the demands of teaching cause too many teachers to lose heart. Is it possible to take heart in teaching once more so that we can continue to do what good teachers always do, give heart to our students?
0: Mm. Thanks. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. This is a special pre-recorded. We won't be taking pre-recorded program. We won't be taking calls today. Um, you just heard from Doug Babkirk, a colleague of mine in Cooperative Extension. Joining him is uh, Carrie Callahan of Compscook Community Learning Center from down in Trescott, Maine, and Richard Ackerman of the College of Education and Human Development. Um, as I read uh, Parker Palmer, he talks about his own dark nights of the soul, the, the places where he's lost heart. Um, each of you probably have some some sense of when you've lost heart, when you've lost the ability to kind of see where your career, where, where your profession is, is headed. You want to share any of that, of uh, that wrestling uh, with that, Carrie?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll um, say that in the last several years, I've become very close friends with some public school teachers, uh, also teachers at the University of Maine at Machias, and I now realize that uh, in, in all of our careers where you are, are teaching something, you're, you're giving energy, you're giving of your, your soul, you are, you are providing that to your students. And I realize now what, what types of, of replenishment they need. So having become friends with these, these teachers, um, I, I have heard them. Uh, communicate to me that it's just—it's so tiring. It's draining. It's tiring, and I—I uh, I realize that we need to develop ways to to bring some of that energy back to the heart, so that it once again uh, that heart can be the conduit for for the energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Richard, how about yourself? Have you wrestled with some of these um, heart-stopping, heart-causing <laughs> problems? Yeah,
2: yes, I have. I mean,
1: rather than one example, it, it, it usually takes the form of has anyone seen Richard? Meaning that I've found, I found in a, in a few uh, organizations uh, a moment where I'm going around asking where Richard is because I can't find myself. And, and um, that's happened Enough for me to to recognize the signs. And, and when I translate that question, it usually means that uh, I've disconnected in some way, in some integral way from some part of myself or from my work or from other people, that I've, I've, I'm uh, alone, I've disengaged. Uh, and in that disengagement, curiously, I also am exhausted. <laughs> mm. So that mm. there's this funny connection between a lack of connection and exhaustion mm-hmm. and a lack of connection to myself and to my work um, I'm fond of uh, there's a the, uh, Benedictine monk uh, bro- brother David Stendel ross says mm-hmm. that antidote to exhaustion is whole heartedness <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the irony here of course is that wholeheartedness is the very thing we need. but for me, those dark nights have always occurred because in in one way or another I've lost some sense of who I am mm-hmm. and um, i'm I have to find my way back to that. Mm-hmm. 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 Doug?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think mm. how that's manifested in my life is sometimes some of the physical ailments that I've had over my life. And I think of back surgery that I had seven years ago. And it was at a time of feeling that I was overworking and feeling that I was literally taking on other people's lives and responsibilities. And when I think back of it, I was shouldering and uh, carrying on my back too much. And in the moment I didn't know that, I just thought, oh, I've got a herniated disc and just like, let's just get take- this taken care of. But when I look back, there was a sense of having lost myself as well in mm-hmm. other people's needs and thinking growing up that it was to be more virtuous to be serving others and taking care of everyone else's needs rather than acknowledging that I had needs or to take care of myself. And I realize it's not either or. You know, it, I can both be of service to others if i take good care of myself and i think that's what some of the same experiences and words that we're hearing of teachers coming to our circles that they are giving you know there's so many expectations as richard said earlier internally and externally and as Carrie said, of bringing different kinds of circles together where people are longing for those kinds of conversations but yet not feeling they have the time the space the energy to take care of themselves and yet in this teaching profession unless we take good care of ourselves we truly aren't of service to others or ourselves so this experience of the courage to teach work is an opportunity for people to fill up their wells it's not about tools it's not about techniques or learning teaching strategies there's enough out there we don't you know pretend to be um uh experts in that area but our role is to help as i said earlier to bring these circles together where people acknowledge that they are at a place in their work life where they want to pause, to reflect, and to either renew that original calling or commitment, and for some to decide, I need to move on you know, that I have given what I can give, and it's now time to move on. Mm -hmm. So we never predict what the outcomes will be of whether they're one-day sampler retreats or like the three-day retreat that Carrie will talk about later that we'll be doing in partnership with the Copscook Community Learning Center. Um, People define for themselves what they're ready for and in the the time and space.
0: So what, what would this this work look like if a t- teacher was interested, or, or anybody that's an educator, it might not be a teacher per se, and I understand that you're working with other groups as well, but what would it look like? Um, uh, describe a day, for instance. Richard?
1: Sure. And over the past, I'd say, seven or eight years now, uh, Doug, myself, and a number of other f- facilitators have organized days or or a succession of days that that we rightly call retreats. So, I mean, it would be important maybe to start there in understanding that the day itself <coughs> is a, a kind of retreat. It's 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 a way of consecrating a, a space or a place uh, away from the usual. I'm I'm uh, reminded of of a, of a retreat that that we <coughs> developed in Aroostook County, and um, uh, a participant came that morning. To the place and saw chairs in a circle, and uh, it was a beautiful space, Uh, chairs in a circle, uh, some refreshments, a few things to read. It was very quiet, and she came up, and I think she just said, thank you. (laughs) 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 That that is to say she already understood, I think she was a principal or superintendent, that this was going to be a different kind of day. That sets the tone. But the the day itself, uh, we try to um, observe uh, a certain uh, adage less is more, so that we keep the day very simple. And it usually consists of uh, uh, large group, small group, individual times for writings and reflections. We often, we can talk more about this in a little while, but we use different kinds of stories and poems. Uh, in order to uh, work with themes in, in the lives of our uh, participants. But primarily it's it's a place where we're trying to create a space for folks to feel very safe and where they can really begin to explore their own kind of interior um, images and aspirations.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. As Richard said earlier, on, sometimes the retreats will take on themes that are most on or up for teachers at that point in time. And so trying to be, again, in that place of where are people as opposed to expecting them to be some other place. The other opportunity through the retreat um, model is to be able to work with the seasons and looking at the metaphors that are present. So spring might be a time of posing questions to individuals to reflect upon that speak about what is um, growing within me at this point in time, or what am I giving birth to? What's new? What's beginning? Summer, if we were to hold a retreat, might be, what's the abundance that, you know, I'm experiencing now? Fall might be a time of harvest. What is it that I'm pulling together? What's the integration? Winter retreat might be a time of going within, of what's lying dormant, you know, waiting for the spring. So looking at the metaphors that nature holds into serve to allow that metaphor to serve as a venue for people to go within and then uh, to be able to give voice to that and it's all invitational. This is not a, a share of what Parker says, a share or die kind of thing. We've all been in groups before where we go around the circle and it's like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be the third one. And what am I going to say? That's not what this is about. It's about creating a, a, a place of comfort and yet also inviting people to push their own edges, you know, where, when and where they're ready. Mm-hmm. And um, time for renewal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are practice. Can I? Yes, Please. please.
1: There are a number of uh, practices that we use that um, often reflect uh, the, the, um, the work of a retreat, I guess I could say it to you that way. But again, they're, they're, they're very simple uh, but powerful. For example, one is, is simply trusting and learning from the silence so that um, – there's a wonderful Quaker saying, I speak when I can improve upon the silence. <laughs> and in some ways, that it's an important um, and powerful – uh, element in any retreat, which is, which is really learning uh, the gift of, of silence. Um, another is just learning to respond with wonder uh, at, at what goes on in a retreat. Not, I mean, to, to kind of quiet the, the usual chatter in a mind, but just simply to be open to uh, the wonder of, of a response. Um, we also, uh, in, in some retreats, take the opportunity uh, in a more s- focused way for folks to bring an issue from their own practice and take it to uh, an old Quaker practice called Clearness Committee. I won't go into all that quite yet, or but but it's it's a wonderful practice that allows a person to bring an issue of some deep concern to them to a small group of people whose only job whose only job is to listen very deeply and carefully and whose only job <laughs> is to ask open questions.
0: Not giving advice. Not giving mm-hmm.
1: advice, right. uh, not telling the person how to do it, but simply being present as fully and as powerfully as they possibly can.
0: We don't get very many opportunities for that kind of experience right. in our daily lives, right. do we? Mm-hmm.
1: We don't. Yeah. That, that's, w- that's what I think is, is so powerful and transformative uh, at its best, about some of these retreats, which is just to be in that space for a little while in your life where you don't have to. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, what else would you add about the, the shape or, or the, the, some of the results? How are people responding mm. to this time where they get to focus on who they are and this sense of renewal?
3: Some of the people that I've spoken to, Ron, and uh, throughout Maine, we've um, reached about 150 people now over the past five years. There are four of us facilitators in Maine that have been uh, affiliated with the Center for Courage and Renewal. We can talk about that later. That's based in Seattle. But um, Individuals, uh, upon reflecting uh, on the experience, have talked about a sense of feeling renewed, reconnected with what that original calling was, feeling refreshed, having new insights in terms of an issue, um, not necessarily leaving with all the answers, but leaving with more questions, which can still be helpful. And also looking at the opportunity for leaving with a set of practices that they can bring to their own work settings. So Richard was just touching upon some of the things that we call touch tones for how we are when we come together. You know, people, you know, again, we've all been parts of meetings where people have talked about group norms, how are we gonna to be together, group guidelines. This is much deeper than that. So as Richard spoke about several of those, it's an opportunity to not only experience those in the retreat setting, but to engage people in a process of thinking and imagining how might this happen back in my school how could I imagine our weekly staff meetings you know bringing in some of these same practices and principles and having an opportunity to support them so long after the retreat the idea that we could still stay in touch with teachers or school leaders who are looking at ways to integrate these practices and principles in their schools becomes mm-hmm. a real opportunity.
0: And do you encourage people to come in pairs or, you know, the, the notion that there's support there? If, you, if you're all alone in a school setting, you might need a little support. I, I don't know if that's part of what you're encouraging people to think about.
1: Increasingly, we've been organizing retreats um, in which uh, teams from schools can come mm-hmm. Uh But quite often, you know, folks just sort of see (laughs) something in the uh, advertisement or the word that attracts some part of them. Uh, But we've been trying to be more deliberate, haven't we, in the past Mm -hmm. uh, past year? Because I think it makes a difference if folks can come, you know, with others from their school or from Mm -hmm. their community.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. People will talk about is there a liability of coming together? Mm. You know, can I come together in a retreat setting and be able to be open and mm-hmm. fully transparent or vulnerable if my principal is sitting there or my peers are sitting there? And, and I've seen it work both ways, where there's an opportunity, as I said earlier, these two teachers that had worked together for 20 years developed a level of connection that they had never experienced before because they felt so isolated. And so there's great learning that I've experienced in both ways where people come as complete strangers and leave with a sense of a, having had a commonly shared experience, mm-hmm. and people coming together in teams. So it can work both ways. And I think whatever people are comfortable with, mm-hmm. and as Richard said, this isn't, not everyone's going to be attracted to this. And this we're not out selling anything. This isn't about marketing or trying to sell a product. It's all about invitation mm-hmm. for folks who feel that sense of calling.
0: So you've described kind of a a one-day, but um, coming up in June, Mm -hmm. you're offering a three-day workshop Mm -hmm. or retreat and and, carry your actively involved in in planning that i'll just remind listeners before we come to that that you're tuned to talk of the towns here on weru we're talking about the the renewal of the courage to teach with our guests in the studio richard ackerman of the college of education and human development at the university of maine doug babkirk of cooperative extension and carrie callahan of Cobbs Cook Community Learning Center. Usually we take phone calls, but this time it's a pre-recorded show, so we're not doing that. But uh, Carrie, tell us a little bit about the workshop that's coming up um, in June, and and, uh, why folks at Cobbs Cook Community Learning Center are are leaning into this work, excited about this work.
2: Well, the the Learning Center itself is a, a place where retreats for all different kinds of businesses and organizations happen. That is um, that's sort of our forte. We are we are in a, a beautiful setting. We um, abut hundreds of acres of of uh, conservation land, and just up the road from us, uh, Suffolk University has a facility that they call the Friedman Field Station. That's in Edmonds, Maine, and it consists of um, of uh, cabins where people can come and stay. All meals are included. Um, as a, a member of the of the Cook Community Learning Center, I help to to put these uh, retreats, these types of events, together. And um, we will be um, um, taking res- uh, registrations for people. We will be um, hopefully will be the 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 um, The hub. (laughs) The hub. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you um, for this, this particular retreat. We have timed this retreat to be just after the public school systems get out. Mm-hmm. So there will be that hopefully that sense of relief that <laughs> we got through another year and oh my god, I have to I have to renew, rejuvenate, replenish myself. So this may indeed be a really good time to help teachers um go into that, that quiet place, listen to themselves, learn to listen to themselves, or or more remind them mm. to listen to their self uh, within that quiet. So the Freedman Field Station is in the middle of the woods, mm. <laughs> close to the shore. So it just it being in a place like that helps folks as um, – as Doug said, um, when you're connected to nature or close to nature, you then would become more connected to yourself. So that's, that's why we're offering this retreat in this place. Uh, we will have everything provided, the food and, and, and so on, the lodging, so that people can come and, and leave their, their baggage at the mm-hmm. door uh, and, and just jump into mm-hmm. this place.
0: And what what else would you say, Doug or, yeah. or Richard, in terms of your hopes for this particular off- offering?
3: It's going to be a, a two-and-a-half-day retreat, beginning uh, welcoming people at 4 o'clock uh, for arrival, uh, settling in on Wednesday, June 27th, and then having dinner together and then an opportunity for an evening program of... Introductions and an overview of what we're going to be exploring, and then connecting with a little bit about the community, Copscook Community Learning Center, where Alan Firth and Carrie have been wonderful in partnering with us at the University of Maine Cooperative Extension to co sponsor this event. Thursday morning uh, after breakfast uh, together will be an opportunity through a morning session to talk about what were the original roots and calling for educators in terms of what brought them into this profession and to give voice to some of those stories. And again, as Richard said, the opportunity to use a piece of writing, a poem, could be music, could be imagery to help invite people to be in that kind of interior space and time for journaling, writing, and then small group discussion. Again, this is all invitational. And then the large group, an opportunity to share insights in the stories together. And then after lunch, an opportunity to have some downtime, free time for a couple of hours in the beautiful setting to take advantage of that. Uh, And then the afternoon to look at what are some of those threads that run through our lives that, yes, we may have had different roles, different work along our lives. But what are those threads that continue to uh, travel with us that we oftentimes lose touch with? then again some free time dinner evening session that looks at the power of open honest questions to be able to co- again connect with those deep conversations within ourselves and with others and then after breakfast friday morning an opportunity to look at, at the concept of weaving real connections as we talked about with ourselves with others and with the world that we're part of as a way to feel renewed and refreshed for moving on and then the opportunity for folks to reconnect will be providing an activity um, as Carrie said this is the end of the school year yet be, before summer vacation begins an opportunity before they begin the uh, school year in the fall to reconnect with mm-hmm. this experience mm-hmm. through an activity I'll keep mm-hmm. it as a surprise
0: that sounds rich yeah. I can imagine that one of your hopes is that people um, renew themselves, and then they take something away that keeps their own ability to renew themselves and perhaps helps with others, you know, that this is a, a life skill that you're reminding them of and then reinforcing in some way. Is that is that your case, Richard? Oh,
1: yes, yes. I mean, I, our hope is that folks can find a, a sense of rejuvenation and energy that uh, such that the shelf life of, of this kind of experience <laughs> extends, you know, far far beyond, and and that's been our you know experience. And and th- the strange thing about that is that it it can happen in, in an instant, you know. It can it can be uh, just uh, found in one conversation. I was saying today that I remember the conversation you and I had <laughs> a number of years ago. And it, it, it's, it's crystal for me still mm-hmm. because something opened in that conversation that um, I remember and I took away from. And I, so, so that the curious, I guess, alchemy here is that uh, the sense of rejuvenation comes from some deep sense of connection that you feel mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't have a, a location easily in time and place. Although that's where it sits, but it really Mm -hmm. extends beyond.
0: And that's a remarkable um, gift to introduce that to someone perhaps who has just kind of clawed their way to the end of the term, Mm -hmm. and um, they need to remember, Mm -hmm. well, it's possible to have those times if you can kind of set um, yourself apart a little bit Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and to ask those deep questions, Mm -hmm. Doug, that you're Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. talking about. And perhaps, Carrie, remind themselves that every school just outside the (laughs) door— nature exists mm-hmm. and it's possible to get to that place mm-hmm. and have those conversations even though the structure Doug that you mentioned in terms of I, I, I come alive in my classroom this mm-hmm. teacher was saying mm-hmm. but um, I feel dead in the school mm-hmm. well there's opportunities to, to recreate those places elsewhere
3: mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think it's also important to remind yeah. our listening audience that this isn't only for school teachers we're talking about school administrators as mm-hmm. well I think oftentimes we tend to think that school leaders uh, somehow don't need uh, this or may not gravitate and yet our experience as um, we offer these programs the experience we had in Aroostook County with superintendents and principals to realize they were telling very similar stories of feeling overwhelmed feeling burdened feeling caught in the middle a lot of expectations and feeling very lonely and very alone at times in the isolation of being a leader um, and so the opportunity for them to feel that they can come and create a safe space you know, to be able to give voice to some of those same stories and that it's been okay to do that with teachers and where they get to see them as real people. Mm. It's like once we take off our masks mm. and to realize that if we can trust each other to know it's okay to be open here, how do we bring that back to our work setting and to actually see some transformed schools as a result of people Literally taking the courage to say, I choose to act differently when I go back to work. I'm going to take the risk to have the conversation with colleagues in ways that I've never done before because that's who I need to be. Mm -hmm. I can no longer do it the way Mm -hmm. I have been.
0: Richard, you said you often use stories and, and poems to, to uh, um, lead people into a place where they're thinking perhaps differently. And I know this, notice that you've brought um, one of those with you. Would you like to <laughs> share that with us?
1: Uh, yeah, I took the liberty of, uh, of bringing a poem today because it, 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 it's one thing to talk about this work. It's another thing to, um, to experience some part of it. And so I'd like to read this poem if I could. Mm. Uh, and it, it's called The Way It Is. It's by William Stafford. I should say uh, I understand that um, William Stafford wrote this poem uh, toward the end of his life, uh, a few months, as it turned out, before he passed away. So um, it's all the more powerful for me because it it suggests someone who is really uh, wrestling with, with the threads of his own life, as you'll see, the way it is. There is a thread you follow. It goes among things that change. But it doesn't change. People wonder about what things you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread. But it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen People get hurt or die and you suffer and grow old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I think we're uh, w- beginning to, to run out of time, and I want to give you ch- a chance to talk about some of your hopes for the future, but uh, first, carry some contact information if folks are interested in this particular workshop.
2: Sure, please. The Cobbs Cook Community Learning Center um, website has links to the uh, Courage and Renewal website, but also the registration materials, and that would be the thecclc.org. Uh, please go. Uh, um log on and ask uh questions you can also call 733 2233 and ask for me Carrie and I'll do what I can to get you registered.
0: Great. So as we as we conclude perhaps you could share what gives you hope what gives you courage to teach. Doug.
3: Mm-hmm. For me it's the um the uh magic that I see happen in circles when teachers come together and to feel embattled, to feel overwhelmed, overburdened, and to leave with a sense of their own hopefulness because they've reconnected with a fire within that has been smoldering. So a lot of this work is about rekindling. And that speaks to my own story about looking at how do I sustain the fire? And for me, it's about paying attention to what matters and for a lot of my life it is about the relationships that I have and to realize in the field of education that we can't afford uh, people to be in isolation it's a uh, it's a community experience learning happens in community and so I want to continue to promote teachers being able to be in relationship to one another in ways that nurture their hearts and nurture their spirit and um, hopefully you know, as we continue this work, we'll find more and more that feel the same.
0: Great, Kerry. What gives you the courage to to teach in, in the way that you're teaching now?
2: Well, you know, I am. A, I've been a yoga teacher for about twenty years now, and I've been studying for thirty five years. And I I lead my my fellow yogis through uh, meditation meditation times. And as we were talking before about um, listening or connecting to the heart, that is the the whole premise of yoga is to connect your mind with your heart. Um, we live so much in our heads. And I'm hoping that um, this retreat will help some people out there who are feeling sort of depleted, uh, to come and, and connect with your own heart uh, as well as others that um, are maybe experiencing the same phenomenon.
0: Right, And Richard, Richard Ackerman, what gives mm-hmm. you the courage to go back into the classroom and <laughs> do this work?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm increasingly hopeful that we can be who we are in settings that sometimes ask us to be somebody else, because mm-hmm. uh, I see it again and again. I don't even make the distinction anymore between uh, this courage work and my own work. They're they're all part of the same life. So I'm, you know, I'm increasingly hopeful that it's possible for all of us to create spaces and communities that welcome each other fully in in, in the ways that we've been talking about this hour. And I, I guess, you know, I'm also increasingly hopeful that we can advance the kind of changes that we want that honor who we are and honor the kind of communities we want to be part of.
0: Mm. Great. Well, thank you all. We've come to that time, when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balne House Highland Music Recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Richard Ackerman of the College of Education and Human Development at the University of Maine, Carrie Callahan of Cobbs Cook Community Learning Center down in Trescott, and Doug Babkirk, my colleague in Cooperative Extension. Uh, thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Joel Mann for engineering this pre-recorded program, and stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host, for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.